Tonight's Old Testament reading is Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Erwin. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors in our Grace DC network. An extra privilege of being a preacher for this evening. I'm going to speak to you this evening on the subject, Wisdom's Way. Wisdom's Way from the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1 as we launch this summer sermon series in Proverbs. Would you pray with me? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name belongs glory. We give you praise and thanks, Lord, for this, your word. That's not dead, but it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And our reality and our confession tonight, O God, is that we are all in this place naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And we bless you because that's good news, because you know, therefore, exactly what we stand in need of tonight. And so would you, in your mercy, take these weak and unworthy efforts of mine in your word and use them to bless your people. Would you meet us where we are and give us what we need, O God? If it's faith, would you give us that gift? Lord, if it is encouragement, would you encourage us through the preaching of your word? If it is correction, would you in your mercy correct us? That we would be people who live not for our glory, but for the glory and fame of Jesus Christ, our King. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, this past week was a headline-making week in the world of professional basketball. Uh, Some of the major stars in the NBA were were on the move. First, uh, Kyrie Irving leaves the Boston Celtics and Kevin Durant leaves the Golden State Warriors to become teammates for the Brooklyn Nets. Irving will receive a four-year $142 million contract. Kevin Durant will get a four-year $164 million contract. And then Paul George gets traded from the OKC uh, uh, Thunder to the LA Clippers and Kawhi Leonard. He leaves the Toronto Raptors to team up with Paul George on the Clippers. Paul George is still in the middle of a $136 $136 million contract over four years, and Kawhi will sign 
a four-year, $144 million contract. And now here's the deal. Kevin Durant, for those of you don't know, who don't know, turned down a five-year, $221 million guaranteed contract offer from the Warriors for the $164 million contract for the Nets. Kawhi Leonard, he rejected a five-year guaranteed $190 million contract from the Raptors for the four-year $144 million deal from the Clippers. And what that means is that Durant is going to Brooklyn for $3.2 million less per year and $57 million less in guaranteed money had he stayed, than he stayed with the Warriors. And Kawhi is going to the Clippers for $2 million less per year and a total of $46 million less in guaranteed money had he stayed with the Raptors. Now, most of us in here, uh, if this doesn't include you, you can see me afterwards, <laughs> have not made and will not make in our lifetime that kind of money over a four or five year span, maybe even over a 25 year span. But why would these guys leave that money on the table? I mean, there's to, you start talking about numbers like that, and it can seem like monopoly money, but it seems to me that leaving $57 million or $46 million on the table is significant. Why would these men go to other teams for so much less in guaranteed money? Now, I'm sure they got agents and accountants that have done a calculus for them. Maybe there's more money to be made in, in other ways from being a star in Brooklyn or in Los Angeles than compared to Northern California or to, to Toronto. Maybe their attitude is, what's a few million less when I have the opportunity to play where I want to play? Well, I don't know the answer, but sports commentators and their talk shows will ask questions like this. Was that a wise decision? There's always spirited debate in the sports commentary world as talk show hosts, they will, they will, they will offer their opinions and, and guests that call in will offer their opinions on whether or not these athletes have made a wise choice. And why even ask a question like that? Do, was, were they making a wise choice? Why ask a question like that? Why is it even a point of discussion to assess whether a multimillionaire athlete made a wise choice? Isn't it their lives? Why do we care? Now, you might not be into sports. So you might not actually care about the wisdom or lack thereof in the decisions that athletes make. But we actually ask this same kind of question when politicians make decisions. We ask the same kind of question when authorities, uh, civil authorities like the police make decisions. We ask the same kind of question when our loved ones make decisions. It matters to us that other people and that we ourselves make wise choices and decisions in life. And why is that? Why does it matter to us? It matters ultimately because we have an idea of what makes for a good life for ourselves and for others. So we give a thumbs up uh, opinion when someone's decisions favors our idea of a good life. And we give a thumbs down when their decision doesn't favor our idea of a good life. We're rarely neutral 
in opinion when the subject area or when the people matter to us. We all want to live well. And most of us want to see others also live well. We can't help it because the most fundamental truth about us is, as human beings is that we are made in the image of God and God himself cares about our living well. And therefore that same care is woven into our DNA. God cares so much about this that he's given us five wisdom books in the Bible, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. God's wisdom books are his personal invitation, if you will. They they are his personal invitation, his welcoming us into the art of living well. Wisdom, from God's standpoint, isn't simply about our knowledge or our intelligence. Wisdom, biblically speaking, is ethical in nature. It is moral in nature. It has to do with the ability to navigate the course of this life, the skill to survive and the skill to thrive in this world. And as we dive into this book of Proverbs this evening, we turn our attention to these first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1, and talk about, I want to talk about these three things from this passage. I want to talk about wisdom's way for the young, wisdom's way for the wise, and wisdom's way for all. Wisdom's way for the young, wisdom's way for the wise, and wisdom's way for all. And now here's the deal. The principal audience The principal audience for the book of Proverbs is young people. Particularly, it is actually boys who are about to enter into adulthood. Verse 1 introduces the book this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And we get a sharper sense of who in particular is being addressed by this book in verse 8 that we didn't read. Verses 8 to 10 where the writer says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are like like a a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now watch this. Just because the author has young adolescent men on his mind doesn't mean that the young ladies don't have to listen. No, the truths here, they apply to everybody. Notice in, in wisdom's way for the young, the first thing that our passage says about the young in verse 4, it says to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and direction to youth. Now listen, you go out these doors and you walk up to somebody and you call them simple, they're going to have a hard time with you. Not likely going to get a positive reaction from somebody if I address them as simple, right? We use simple as a way of describing people negatively. It's actually an offensive term, right? In our vocabulary, we refer to people as, as simple-minded or even simpletons, and that's never a good thing. But that's not what's going on here in Proverbs. 
Calling young people simple is not a negative term. The direct address to the youth, this, this direct address to the youth who have not yet become adults is saying you simply lack the knowledge and experience required for wisdom. You haven't lived long enough. You haven't seen enough yet to know how to navigate life well. In other words, you're simple because you do not have experience. And the implication is to say to give prudence to the simple is to say you haven't experienced enough life to know how to live well and wisely, so don't try to fake it and act like you do. I like the uh, Netflix show Stranger Things. My wife refuses to watch it with me. But one of the reasons that I'm drawn to it is that it is set in the 1980s. The kids in that show are adolescents and and teenagers, and and the 80s were my adolescent and teen years as as well. And and so I resonate with the clothing styles and the the attitudes of the children. I remember the game Dungeons and and Dragons, uh, the big old walkie-talkies, the video games at the arcade, at the the mall. And, And one of the reasons that this show, even though I like it, it reveals itself as fiction. And it reveals itself as as fiction not just because of the upside down, which is uh, part of the point of the show, and the upside down is not a real thing, but it's very often in the show that the kids are more clever than the adults. Uh, listen, I'm going to just tell you, that's not reality. <laughs> that ain't true most of the time. Proverbs is saying to the young, y'all are simple. You haven't lived long enough to learn wisdom, so don't try to act like you have. The adults God has placed in your life, your parents, your teachers, your guardians are in fact given to you uh, to help you learn wisdom. Our wife and I have four children and our youngest is 14 and about to enter into to high school And I've given each of uh, our children this same speech at this point in their lives. So my youngest, Jeremiah, is not here tonight, but he's going to get this speech this summer. It goes something like this. I look him in the face and I say, you don't have enough wisdom to see two feet in front of your face. But that's why God gave you parents. We've been where you are, and and we've been where you're going. We know that the decisions that you make in these next few years will have an impact on your life for the next 15 to 20 years, and we know that there's going to be a good bit of drama and trauma over the next few years. And so our relationship, and I do this, our relationship can be like this, Or it can be like this. The choice is yours. We're okay either way. (laughs) And I have that conversation with them because I know that part of my responsibility is to help my children grow in wisdom. And here's the wonderful thing for the youth. The reality is youth don't just have parents and guardians to help them to learn wisdom because parents and guardians, we mess up, but you also have the word of God. 
You have the Bible itself. Would you notice here what God himself is promising to provide the simple and the young? Verse 2 says to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Verse 3 says uh, uh, instruction in wise dealing, to grasp the ways of righteousness and justice and equity. Verse 4, to give prudence, to give knowledge, to give discretion. This is about forming you on the inside. These are Primarily internal traits and characteristics, the good sense to navigate through life, the good sense to know what to say and how to respond in a way that is right and just and equitable. This is what God is promising to provide in his word. So what's wisdom's way for the young? That is to say, what is, what is the responsibility of the young in this pursuit of wisdom? Notice the verbs in verses 2 and 3. To learn, to understand, to receive and acquire, to obtain. What this is communicating is that the young's responsibility is to take the position of a student. The word of God and the grown folk in their lives take the position of teacher and the youth take the position of student. And when you take that position, you acquire, Proverbs says, the discipline to know what is right and what is just and what is fair and good. You see, God actually requires that his people do what is good and right and just. That's why wisdom is moral and ethical. The art of living well requires the wisdom to do the right thing. God himself is the primary teacher of what is right and what is just and what is equitable. And while Proverbs is set out to instruct the young, it's also instruction for the mature. It's not just wisdom's way for the young. It's also wisdom's way for the wise. Look at what the writer says in verses 5 and 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Pay attention to these two shifts between verses 2 and 4 and verses 5 and six and verses two and four are the, are these purpose statements for the book of Proverbs. Why are you writing Proverbs, Solomon? Solomon says, I'm writing so that the young will know, so that they will understand, so that they will receive. I'm writing to give, to impart something to them. And now in verse number five, the shift and the emphasis of the verb changes from the writer imparting wisdom to the writer exhorting his hearers to pay attention. It's a call into active obedience for the mature. Let the wise hear. Let the wise obey. What will happen as the wise obey this instruction? Uh, The scripture says here they'll increase in learning. They will grow in their insight. They'll obtain even more guidance. The point is, 
If you got some years under your belt, you still need to recognize that you don't know it all either. In fact, if you're mature, you already know that. That kind of humility is actually an indication of your maturity. If you're mature, you already realize that the more you learn, the more you become aware of the fact that there's so much more to learn, especially as it relates to the Word of God. No one will ever be able to say in this life, I have fully mined the depths of God's word and have reached the pinnacle of the, of the ability to apply it well to every life situation and circumstance. Why are the wise called to continue to heed the word of God and increase in learning and acquire more guidance? Because there's actually no such thing as staying in the same place. There's no maintaining the status quo. You're either growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, growing in wisdom, or you're moving further away from it. You see, spiritual warfare is real. Like the Dungeons and Dragons game, that might not be real, but the devil is real and he's not playing a game. His aim is to destroy the work of God. He comes, Jesus says, in John 10 and 10 to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus says in that very same verse that he himself comes as the good shepherd so that his sheep may have life and have it abundantly. And this reality of the abundant life that Jesus came to give is actually tied to wisdom. We heard in our scripture reading, our New Testament scripture reading from James chapter 1. We heard James say in verses 2 and 4 of that chapter, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness, he says, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says in the very next verse, verse 5 of that chapter, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. You see, this isn't just generic wisdom that James is talking about here. It's specifically wisdom from God for trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you endure trials or when you encounter trials of, of every kind. But he knows, James knows, James knows that it is shown enough hard to, to regard trials as things that engender a joyful response. To do that requires wisdom. So he says to ask God who gives wisdom generously and the mature need this wisdom too because trials don't cease as you get older. In fact, you might find the older you get, the more trials come. Proverbs says to the mature, pay attention, pay attention to these words from God so that you can keep growing in your learning and, and obtain guidance to navigate this life because it is hard. 
James builds on this in his letter uh, to say that you've got to grasp the spiritual dimension of this because this isn't just about what job you're going to take or what clothes you're going to wear today. This is about godliness and ungodliness, especially in the midst of utter trial and difficulty. In fact, James keeps pressing this same thing to his hearers in his letter. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have better, bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And then he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I don't know how you have been thinking about wisdom or have thought about wisdom before tonight. But when I say that wisdom is ethical in nature, that just means that it is spiritual in nature. James says that there is an earthly way that is unspiritual and demonic. He said you can identify it when you see bitter jealousy. You can identify it when you see selfish ambition. You can identify it when you see disorder and vile practice. This, he says, is demonic. It's of the devil, but wisdom's identity is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is wisdom's way for the mature. This is wisdom's way for the wise. That wisdom from above that James talks about is for all. It's for young and for mature. Wisdom's way for all is, is, is the crux, actually. It is the center of the prologue in our Proverbs text. The writer puts it this way in verse 7 of Proverbs 1. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There is a starting point for wisdom without which wisdom is actually impossible. The starting point is described here in the passage as the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a phrase, it's a, it's a concept that runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the fear of the Lord has, has two senses to it. Uh, it, it rightly includes the, the sense of, of terror and fright and, and trembling fear in that sense we find in Genesis chapter 3, right? After Adam and Eve uh, sin, after sin 
enters into the reality of the human experience, what do we find in the Bible when people encounter God's glory? They're afraid. After Adam and Eve sin, what do they do when they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? The Bible says they hid from the presence of God. From that day forward, encounters in Scripture between sinful people and the holy God leave sinful people shaking in their boots. But the other sense of the fear of the Lord in Scripture is reverence and awe and adoration and praise. This type of fear is response of all those who know the Lord's redemption. This is the type of fear for those who have been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the distinction that is made in Proverbs is between the simple and the fool. It's all right to be simple. That's not a pejorative term. It just means you don't know enough yet. You don't have enough experience to be called wise. But the fool is what you don't want to be called. The fool is a pejorative term. The fool actively rejects God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool despises God's wisdom and instruction because the fool actually despises God. What we find out in Scripture is that the fool actually ultimately rejects Jesus Christ. Isn't how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. He asks this question, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is stronger than men. Men, and the uh, foolishness of God, rather, is, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The testimony of the Bible, the testimony of Scripture, is that the starting point for our wisdom, our knowing, is the recognition and reverence and honor and adoration and awe of God. Right? The Bible knows nothing about knowledge simply for the sake of knowledge. There's always a purpose in the knowing of something. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's a, a scholastic knowledge, experiential knowledge, social knowledge. If something is true, then it belongs to God. Because all truth is God's truth. He's the source of our knowledge and our wisdom. We cannot rightly know anything. And what I mean by that is we cannot rightly be wise enough to apply our knowledge to the honor and the glory of God without the fear of the Lord. The art 
of living well is centered on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is wisdom's way for all. Why is that? Because the fear of the Lord puts the center of life where it belongs. The glory of God and his purposes in the world. The fear of the Lord, what it does, it reorients your thinking away from self-exaltation towards the kingdom of God. That's always, always the question, who will you serve? Will you be like the fool? Will you put your life in the hands of the almighty and loving God? The book of Proverbs, this, this book, it covers the subject, all the subject matters we care about. Just, just read it. You can read a chapter of Proverbs a day, right, and get through it in a month. And what you'll find out is that all the subjects that we care about are found in their family and faith and finances and fun and business and, and pleasure and relationships and strife and, and contention. And what this tells us is that there is no aspect of life that the wisdom from above doesn't speak into. And there's no access to the wisdom that's from above without the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom's way for everybody. Let me close with these two biblical examples. You know the first place in the Bible where we find the Lord giving somebody wisdom? First place in the Bible where we find the Lord giving somebody wisdom is Exodus chapter 28 and verse 3. The Lord says in that passage to Moses, you shall speak to all the wise of heart whom I have filled with a spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for the priesthood. And then we find the Lord saying something similar to Moses a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 31 verses 2 to 5. The Lord says there, see I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft." The first indication that we get of God directly giving somebody wisdom is in relationship to their ability for craftsmanship. He gives wisdom for the making of the priestly garments that that Aaron, the high priest, and his sons would wear. He gives wisdom for the making, for the design, and the building of the tabernacle when Israel is in the wilderness. Like, why does Bezalel need wisdom to design and build the tabernacle? Right? Isn't that just a learned skill? Can't he just apprentice under somebody who tells him how what to do with the precious metals, how to, how to carve the wood, how to, how to make all of the ornaments for the, for the tabernacle? Why do you need wisdom for that? Yeah, he can apprentice on to, under somebody and learn the skill. But the reference and the need for wisdom here is because he is being fit for a task that honors God and blesses God's people. He needs wisdom because he is being fit 
for a task that honors God and that blesses God's people, that glorifies God by blessing and serving the well-being of his people. Wisdom is needed because his focus is to be honoring God and blessing his neighbors. That's why you need wisdom in the decision-making process of life. Because you need to know what makes best for the honor and glory of God and the blessing and good of, of God's people and my neighbors. You need both of those. That's the wisdom that comes from above to those who fear the Lord. Here's the second biblical example. Proverbs 24, 6. I love this verse. Proverbs 24, 6 says this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Remember, the fool is the one who rejects wisdom, who rejects the Lord, who refuses to walk in the fear of the Lord. And this verse is saying, be careful when you're in conversation with a fool. Don't answer that person because there is no end. Remember that next time you're on social media having a conversation with somebody. It says in that verse, you will become just like that person because they'll only answer your wisdom with more foolishness because they don't know wisdom's way. Proverbs 26.4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Well, what does the next verse say, Proverbs 26.5? It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second, wait a second. No, I thought it was answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. Well, no, now it says answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait a second, I thought I wasn't supposed to answer the fool in his folly. Now I'm being exhorted to do the exact opposite. What gives? The answer is, it depends. It depends. The point is, I need wisdom to discern what to do. I need wisdom to know how to engage somebody who falls into this category of fool. Sometimes it means I've got to end the conversation, and sometimes it means I've got to engage. The question is, what will make for the glory of God and the love of my neighbor, especially this person who's, who's described as a fool? That's always the question. That's why we need the wisdom from above. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and and wisdom. It's because I always need to be able to discern what will make for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ and what will make for the demonstration of love for my my neighbor as as my heart and my center is turned away from my own needs toward the needs of others in the worship and glory of God. Listen, you could go on and on with examples, but I said I was almost done, right? So let me finish here. Here's the point. Wisdom from God's perspective is the art of living well. But he gets to define what living well means. He gets to tell us what living well means. And there's a reason that the Bible describes Jesus Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. J.I. Packer in his book, 
Knowing God puts it this way. I have this quote in the reflection in our bulletin where he says, he writes, to God belong wisdom and power. Wisdom without power would be pathetic, a a broken reed. Power without wisdom would be merely frightening. But in God, boundless wisdom and endless power are unified, are, are united. And this makes him utterly worthy of our fullest trust. God's almighty wisdom is always active. God's almighty wisdom is always active and it never fails. This is God's wisdom that he delights and desires to impart to his people. Where do you go for wisdom? Where do you look when you're trying to make the decisions in your life? Do you have a reverence and an awe which is described, an adoration that is described as the fear of the Lord entrusting your life to him because he is the perfect and full combination of power and wisdom together. And he delights to impart it to us as we seek his face. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth and the reality of wisdom's way. Thank you that you are the source of wisdom, the beginning and the end of wisdom, that you are the fount of wisdom. And we thank you that you are a God who delights, who's not stingy, but you give generously to all who ask. And so, Lord God, would you bless us in this moment and through this week to entrust our lives to you in the decisions that we have to make to look to you for the wisdom from above that is pure and that is peaceable, that is gentle, that is open to reason, that is impartial and sincere, that we might glorify you and love our neighbors well. 